I think we get caught up in, you know, as a leader, you've got to be a certain charismatic, you've got to be a certain this, a certain mm-hmm. this. And you, no doubt, you can't just say, I'm me, I'm me. You've got to yeah. build your skill set, but you don't have to change your DNA. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's Accelerate Your Performance podcast. I'm your host, Janet Pilcher. Thank you for having a desire to be your best at work. On this podcast, hear stories told by people who take actions to improve workplace culture and achieve results. Our conversations show how to live and model our nine principles for organizational excellence. On October 28th and 29th, we are holding a virtual destination high performance event. I'm thrilled that Quint Studer will join me on stage to engage in conversations about leadership and building vibrant communities. To lead into our conference, Quint will be my guest for the next several weeks here on the podcast. To learn more about our upcoming virtual events like Leader Roundtables, What's Right in Education and Destination High Performance, visit studereducation.com events. We're connecting back with Quint as we continue to talk about his weekly column in the Pensacola News Journal that provides relevant, timeless leadership advice. Today, Quint and I will discuss one of his keys to leadership, being yourself. In this article, Quint talks about Tim Cook's story, the CEO of Apple and the successor of Steve Jobs. Welcome, Quint. Welcome back to our show. Glad to have you with us again. Well, thank you, Dr. Pilcher. Nice to be here. All right. So we're going to talk about the article that you wrote that talks about Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, talks about his journey. I, as um, as you know, as we've talked, I just really enjoyed reading that article and just made me think even more highly of Tim Cook. So I'm curious, Quint, what moved you to write the article about Tim? Well, you know, so almost all my columns come from real life experiences. It either calls from somebody calling me on the phone or it means I, I um, run into somebody or I I'm working with an organization and it comes up. This one is, I, I just happened to open up the Wall Street Journal and they just, I read this article. And I think it was around the time when I was talking to a, a president about succession planning. And, you know, and it just hit me that, you know, sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking a CEO looks like a certain way. And this actually led from a succession plan conversation. So if you look at in my in the article and I talk about it, you know, some of the successions like GE were unbelievable failures. You know, there are certain ones Microsoft struggled and these weren't like they tried to. They tried to make really educated decisions. So I'm not saying that it's easy. But when you look at successful successions, Tim Cook was an unbelievable succession, successful succession. And he was almost in many ways different than Steve Jobs. And it hit me that you don't, you know, you don't have to be an extrovert because I think sometimes extroverts get a lot of, you know, if you're a good presenter or a good speaker, then all of a sudden they think, well, you're a good leader. That's not always true. And yet there are certain people that are more introverts that are great leaders, but don't get the attention. And I think it just hit me that Tim Cook just was true to himself. And I think he was true to himself because he said, I would rather fail being true to myself than being somebody that I'm not. And I think it took a lot of courage, mm-hmm. but I just love the fact that, you know, the article is sort of be the best you, you can be. I, I tell the fact that I, I went to therapy. I went to a psychiatrist, psychologist, excuse me, because I was so feeling like such a failure. 
And I remember she said to me, Quint, you need to be yourself. And I'm thinking, my God, you're crazier than me. I'm here because <laughs> I don't want to be myself. <laughs> you know, that's the last person I want to be. <laughs> and in my journey, eventually, she helped me understand I had to, now there were things I had to fix about myself. There were things I had to address about myself. But basically, your job is to truly be the best you you can be. And then hope you're in the right fit in the right organization. And, or if you're not, find an organization, you are the right fit. Yeah. I think, you know, the other thing you said in the article, which I just, I loved it. It said, you know, be yourself, everyone, everyone else is taken, you know? And uh, I just, you know, I know that's easier said than done. So just a little bit more about that, because we know we want to try to be ourselves and then there's so much pressure from others and we kind of give in to that pressure. Um, so it's easier, easier to say that, or is it, maybe it's not even easy, but we know we want to do that. But how do we work through, through those times when we doubt ourselves, Quinn? And I, you know, I'd love to hear from you in that regard. Well, I think we doubt ourselves a lot. I think the biggest driver we've all faced with is fear, fear of failure, fear of looking silly, fear of not having the right answer. One of the hardest things I had to come up with is I don't know. One of my things I tell people all the time, the greatest leadership tip I think I've ever given is to tell somebody when somebody asks you something, say, what do you think? Because it's hard because, you know, we want to be, be that leader. So I, I think when I, I look into this, it's truly figuring out a couple things. Don't be afraid to be authentic. You know, I've heard people say, well, you know, I don't want to do these town hall meetings because I'm that good of a presenter. Well, yeah, but you got to be, you got to do a town hall meeting. And they're just happy you're showing up and you're doing it. And, and it's just the nature of the beast. People don't judge you on how funny you are. They judge you on, are you walking the talk? and Are you authentic? No, number two, I, I think you've got to surround yourself with people that love you enough. And I've almost, almost really, people are really going to think I'm, you know, 20 years ago, they thought I was crazy in healthcare and I started talking about employee engagement. Now I'm even going to talk about employee love because I, I think you have to surround yourself with people that love you or love the organization enough to give you feedback. You know, it's that old spinach in your teeth statement. And when you think about it, and it's one of my comms we talked about, if you really do believe strongly about something, you will share it. And, and you've got to take ownership. So I think being the best you you can be ties into my book, Busy Leader Handbook, is create ways to be self-awareness. And I could go, I'm trying, I know this shouldn't be a three-hour podcast here, but I remember walking into a healthcare system and one of the pro hospital presidents, employee engagement was just horrendous. And of course, he went to his boss and said, oh, I feel bad. And she said, oh, don't take it personally. So when I got in there, she said, well, he feels really bad. I told him not to take it personal. I said, no, you should take it personal. Yeah. These, are, these are people that work for him. Now, but right. don't get stuck up on taking it personal. Now figure out what can you do to be better. So I think being the best you you can be is not changing your DNA, but certainly looking at improving the skill set that goes with your DNA. Yeah. You know, and as we think about Tim Cook, you wrote in the article that he knew what he was not, and then he proceeded to be the leader. You know, so he's looking at Steve Jobs, and he's looking at what he's not in relation to Steve Jobs, and then he proceeded. And you, you talked about that that's what you think possibly helped him gain and sustain that success. Well, I think you go where your strengths are. So ironically, people might not realize this, but when I was president of a hospital, I did not run our meetings. 
you know, usually the president runs the meetings because, you know, I wanted to be more engaged as part of the meeting. Yeah. And I, I would get distracted. I was the biggest problem in our meetings, not running well, it was me. So I actually had somebody else run all our meetings. And that was meaning you're a better at running a meeting than I am. So the story I say is Steve Jobs loved new products. I mean, you couldn't drag him away from new products. So when they're talking about the Apple Watch, and they go to these big things, they you know go to some place and they talk about new products. And I, I'm sure Steve Jobs was levitating, you know, at the meeting because this is what he loved. Well, you know, Tim Cook didn't even show up because he basically sort of said, you know, I trust you. That's not my area of strength. But where did he show up? In detail. He was an industrial engineer. And I love the story that one time they shipped 25 computers to the wrong address. And his comment was, are we losing our excellence? And remember, they had shipped 200 million and they were stunned. So where he went to is product refinement and so on. The other thing I loved about the article, because sometimes we get so big into quantum leaps, we miss the fact that most improvement is incremental. Yes. And, and for Apple, incremental improvement was actually different than they'd ever done because they're always trying to hit home runs. Right. It's okay to hit a bunch of singles. And if you look at what they've done financially, these singles have added up to a whole bunch of runs. So that's what I loved about him. He, he was an industrial engineer. The other thing I love a couple things about the story is Steve Jobs was just stuck on we don't return cash. And he listened to some of the investors. And so he started returning cash. The other thing I loved about him is um, think about this. He's, he's a a war eagle and went to Robertsdale, Alabama <laughs> high school. And I'm sure he could call somebody at Auburn and say, I'm coming to a football game. Can you arrange for me to sit in a suite? Can you arrange for me to be a, you know, blah, blah, blah. They said that many times they don't even know he's showing up mm-hmm. until they see him in a coffee shop, until they see him somewhere. I love that about him. And of course, the other thing that I have so much respect for him is when he came out with his sexuality knowing some people might misjudge that and it could hurt his possibly stock price, but he came out with it. He was bigger than Apple because he probably realized what it was like to be bullied as a kid, what it was like in a, in a company to be scared, what if people find out. And so he was just so courageous. And, and I sort of, you know, if you look at the Wizard of Oz, he sort of got all the characters in him. He's a little bit of a lion, you know, a little bit of Tin Man. He does. You know. Yeah, a whole bit. So I know I'm probably going overboard on them, but I just read this article and thought, you know, for, for people out there that are an introvert, think I can't be a leader. For people that are out there and say, but I'm not good at this. For people that are wondering about, should I share something? For people that don't want to pivot, because he pivoted. Mm-hmm. Um, he just is, a, I just think, a really good example. And what I also love about this is when they did the article, he never even got involved. He just you know, that's not his thing. And they talk to ex-employees, you know, and you think ex-employees might say, oh, you know, he's not always cracked up to be. He doesn't need to be the star. Yeah. And yeah. I, I think that's right. bad about him. I think that's right. And, and what you talked about, he doesn't need to be the star. And, um, and there's no weakness in that because he's, he's a really courageous person. You know, that's the, um, and he shows and, us, he shows us the way. I mean, he, he models that for us. I just think for, for all the introverts out there, which 50% of people are introverts, he, he talks about that, figuring out what you're good at. And then, but he trusted other people. 
he trusted people. And so just think about that. I would imagine Steve Jobs is probably pretty domineering at these new product <laughs> <Yeah>. conversations. <laughs> and for Steve not to be there, because he was, just, of course, couldn't be there or he'd love to, Tim Cook basically um, felt he trusted him. The other thing I think probably, and he's never meant it, but you know, you figure all the success Apple had, he was there. So mm-hmm. I, I, think, I think he was probably always a bigger impact on the culture, a bigger impact on process. And if you read, you know, this guy's a process high reliability guy. Right. He's an industrial engineer. Um, so, you know, there was a great combination. And I, I think yeah. though, sometimes when you lose that combination, you know, there's partnerships when one goes, the place goes down the tubes. He's figured out so far how to pull it off. And we're at a time when they wrote this, there were so many other situations where the choice of the next leader didn't build it up, they actually helped take it down. Take it down, yeah. And I think you see that time and time again. You know, so as we as we close with the last part of today, you know, one of the other things you said in the article, Quint, was, you know, leadership is an inside job. And I loved, you know, I just pulled some quotes. I love some of the things that you that you wrote about here and pulled some of those out. So, you know, what is that what does that mean to you? Well, I think it recognizes the things that get in the way of your progress. You know, when I meet most people, they're smart enough to acquire the leadership skills. It's not because they haven't read the books. It's not like they really don't know what to do. And sometimes, Janet, it's not that they don't want to do it. So what's getting in that way? And sometimes there's baggage or bias that we bring we don't even realize. So, so for example, I'll go over a few of them. First of all, there's that whole denial thing that gets in the way of us looking on the inside. Because we sometimes, right now, I don't care what happens, COVID's going to get blamed for everything in the world <laughs> right, right now. You know, if our, if our employee engagement's down is COVID, if it's this and, and COVID. And I understand it has impact, but I'm saying there, there's the denial. And, and I know that when I was at Holy Cross Hospital, all the stories is, you know, we blame the homeless until we found out they didn't get a survey in the mail because they were homeless. So there's that whole denial. I think there's the fear factor of, of saying you don't know. So does fear hold us back or, or feel or fear of failure? I've, in my book, Straight A Leadership, I, I talked about why aren't best practices transferred easily? And think about that. You know, uh, you, you and I know you can go to a place that has many schools and you find a principal that has unbelievable student achievement and great employee engagement. And even in the own district, instead of saying, I'm going to go visit them and learn what they're doing. I can go back a year later and say to that principal, out of curiosity, how many other principals in a school district have come to see you? And the answer is routinely none. What holds them back? And usually it's, it's one, possibly fear. If I actually go there and learn how to do it, then what if I don't do it? I think there's a fear of failure. I think there's rationalization. You know, well, their parents are a little more engaged or they have wealthier students or, you know, that's a new building. And if I had a new building, then we would be fine. So I think there's fear, there's anger, um, there's victimization. So I, I just find leadership is not about getting things as much as sometimes it's getting rid of the blockage which is keeping us from getting those things. So that's what I mean by it's truly an inside job. I interviewed for my podcast, Harold Dawson, and he's a successful developer, but he went through a whole period where he lost his, pretty much lost his company and lost his house. 
And he said, what he did then is just get really angry. And he had a big chip on his shoulder. And it wasn't until he got rid of his anger and his chip and his fear that he was able to really be successful. So that's what I sort of, I mean, I don't think we talk about that enough because we're so busy saying, learn this skill. But then I want to say, what's keeping you from rounding? You know, what's keeping you from going and visiting a best practice? And healthcare, it's the same thing. I I go to a a system and and we'd find a a place that had low employee turnover or or low, low infection rate. And I remember being in a healthcare system and I found a nurse manager who had like the lowest infection rate in the whole system. And I, and I had them come up on stage. I interviewed them on what they were doing, Janet. And then I um, said, well, I'll be back in 90 days. I'm really anxious to see how many people contact you. So 90 days came by, went to the next LDI, went and said, well, just out of curiosity, how many managers have come and seen you? And he didn't want to answer because he didn't want to get people like he thought in trouble, but it was like less than, less than two or three. Yeah. So that's what keeps us from being better. It's, it's, we're afraid to go sometimes seek out the best practices because then, well, if I know what to do and I'm not doing it, then I've got to own it now. I can't blame anybody else. Just reminds me, several months ago, I had a conversation with an executive leader and we were trying to really put in leader rounding. And, you know, then the question was, what if there's pushback? You know, what if they push back and don't want to do it? And, you know, I just, <laughs> just kind of came out of the top of my head. I said, you know what? Ask them to round on one person a week. Make it very simple. One, one person a week for four weeks in a row and just do it. And if they don't do it, then you have an answer about yeah. what to do. I mean, sometimes it's, it's, even though that's not simple to do, Quinn, sometimes it's that simple in terms of what those expectations have to be. I don't know any other way to do it. I think you'd like, you'd like to be able to have people comply because they see the value of it. But there are certain times when we have to get people complying in order for them to see the value of it. There's just certain times when experience. So I did something this last week, Janet, in my mature manner, of course, which <laughs> is a joke. I got frustrated with our managers. We have like 40 something people. So I told them by Monday at five o'clock, this was last week, I want everyone to write me a note and copy it, whoever else you need to copy, of one employee or coworker that you want me to recognize. And then I said, now, for those that don't know how to do it, I wrote a sample note that I would get. Dear Quint, I know you like to recognize people. Um, I'd like to tell you about Janet Pilcher. Janet Pilcher has worked here for so long. The coworkers love Janet. She's on the peer interview team. You know, I actually gave them a sample, a sample of what to do. And it's, first of all, I loved it because I was getting things that I wanted to know, but I even got comments like, I really like this. This is a good idea. Now, my first thought is I got to hold up the mirror and say, why did it take that? Mm -hmm. Because we have them read the books. We talk Mm -hmm. about it in training. But sometimes if you don't force the behavior, the person doesn't get the result. Now, when they get the results, so for example, I have a Margaret Stanzel, who's worked for me for years. She's still a student. Her son works in our baseball operation. And I didn't tell him who to write, but his boss wrote a note about JP. And they mm-hmm. wrote me this note about JP. Well, I forwarded it last night to Margaret. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, it's sort of one of these cool things. So right. I think we got to be okay making behavior non-negotiable because there yeah. are certain people that will do it because they have to do it. But if it's the right behavior, 
the having will turn into the wanting. Yeah, I think that's a great way to, to end the day. I mean, I think that is exactly it. That's what you've taught all of us, you know, is to just do the behavior and that behavior turns into something that provides a better work environment and a better place for people to work and for leaders to, to lead organizations to achieve success. Quinn, I appreciate yeah, you. and person, Well, it helped last thing, joke. It helps in personal life. You know, I got a call from a guy one time <laughs> and he was taught but complaining about his wife and he traveled all the time. And he'd come home on weekends and become the parenting consultant to his wife. And he said, you know, I don't know what I should do. I said, well, here's what I had to learn when I traveled all the time and your kids come up to you. Say these magic words. Do whatever your mother wants you to do. And he called me up about two weeks later. He said, that was, that was brilliant. You know, that's all I've been saying and my life is better. So sometimes yeah. we got to be a little bit coachable. But I think last thing I know we're going too long is what's really cool about what you do, Janet, is you not only make school districts better, but these are things we take home into our lives. Yes. This three to one, this, what would you think? We end up being better human beings at work. And then we become better human beings sometimes in our personal lives or vice versa. Because what I don't like is when people have to be two different personalities. There's the work me and they're the home me. Right. Because we shouldn't create cultures where somebody has to be somebody different than they truly are. Yeah. You know, Quinn, and you know, KKO, and she coaches one of our partner superintendents, Benita Coleman. And Benita was on stage presenting for us. And what Benita said is, I wish I had KK when I was raising my kids, because I would have been a lot better, better mother. You know, I know KK. I wish I would. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's just a great example. Thank you, Quint, for being with us today, as always, um, for sharing your information with me. I'm just so passionate about this topic, I get a little carried away and I appreciate you being um, patient with me. No, it's our pleasure. So thanks so much. Thank you. As always, I appreciate my conversations with Quint. There's much to take away with us today. We've learned lessons we can apply from two great leaders, Tim Cook and Quint Studer. What resonated with you? And what's one thing you can do to be your best and be yourself. Thank you for tuning in to Accelerate Your Performance. Please share the podcast and make sure you're subscribed. If you're looking for more resources related to today's episode, head over to studereducation.com slash podcast. I look forward to connecting with you next time as we continue to focus on the nine principles for organizational excellence so that we can be our best at work. Have a great week.